guys. It's Nicole Auerbach. Welcome back to the All-Americans College Football Podcast. I'm joined by Max Olson, our third usual member. Chantel Jennings is in an undisclosed Marriott location in Southern California, so she's very lucky to be there during the winter. Um, yeah, very, very mysterious. I'm sure she's working very hard on something. Very uh, mysterious. Um, it definitely has nothing to do with Chip Kelly being no. a college football coach again. Um, but yeah, so she's not going to be able to join us tonight. So Max, that means it's just me and you breaking down the final rankings that don't matter before the rankings that do. So absolutely, like I, I want to have strong feelings about this, but my brain tells me that these really. They don't even matter for a full week. Well, okay. I think that based on what I've seen on Twitter, there are lots of people who are still feeling very strong feelings about them, despite that fact. Because I I guess it's sort of, I mean, we haven't seen teams really drastically change that much, right? Based off conference championship results. Like, we we haven't seen a team that's been outside of the top five make it into the top four. So I guess, theoretically... We've seen seen the, the most extreme was when TCU played Iowa State in that first year, and yes. then dropped from three to six. Yes, and that, I, just, I feel like they've learned their lesson since then. We haven't really had as many controversial sure. kind of final weeks because of that, because, like, that is a drastic drop. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so, mm-hmm. all right, let me, let me give you the, I'll give you a rundown of the top six, because that's most interesting, and get your sure. reaction. So, number one, Clemson again. Auburn up to number two, which I believe you called. I Heading did. into this. Um, Oklahoma, number three. Wisconsin into the top four at number four. And then you've got Alabama, Georgia right outside. Miami only falls to seven after um, the loss to Pitt. Then we've got Ohio State, Penn State, and USC breaks into the top ten. So, what did anything surprise you about this penultimate rankings uh, they tried to build some drama about the potential of what if alabama's four and wisconsin's five before revealing that the badgers are rightfully number four I, I think the thing that stands out the most and that people are going to be talking about the most the rest of the week is probably just the fact that you've got alabama at five ohio state at eight uh, a lot of arguing about their respective cases and and you know what does it take for them to to make it into the four on sunday um i think that the, that there being that gap between them is uh it is really interesting to see, and uh, you know, Kirby Hokut said that there's, in their eyes, there's little separation from five to eight. But boy, if I'm if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm I'm a little bothered by that. Well, it, what's interesting too, um, obviously, Alabama is the team out of all these teams we're talking about that is not going to be playing this weekend, and they're right. kind of right. being put in this Ohio State from last year. Last year, Ohio State had that big win over Oklahoma on the road, and that was kind of everything mm-hmm. they could hang their hat on. Um, and it really strengthened their their resume. And this year, I just don't feel like Alabama has that. Maybe Florida State could have been that if they were as good as people thought they were going to be, um, and they didn't. Yeah. Lose. Did, did you notice that uh, you know Alabama's uh, best non conference win now is Fresno State? I did they notice that the they 25. they did make the top twenty five. Um, there were a couple of actually uh, some sneaky moves there and towards the bottom where sure. it does help Alabama's resume for sure because a top 25 win is something that the committee uses as a metric. But, you know, I think that would be really interesting. Obviously, you've also got Gene Smith on the selection committee, so he'd be recusing mm-hmm. himself from the Ohio State-specific conversations. But this is the weekend where they're all watching games together and they're all, like, around each other the entire <laughs> time. Like, that would be so uncomfortable. I know. Is, is Gene Smith just supposed to, like, watch in a secluded room for two days and not, like, show any emotions to his colleagues at all about this? Like, there's of course, there's going to be... <laughs> 
some influence. Kirby Hookett said that they can like go a little beyond the recusal po- policy. They did that last year with Clemson's AD in, in terms of just making sure that there wasn't kind of that bias seeping into the matchups and stuff. But boy, if you're Gene Smith, I'm, I'm sure you're making your opinion uh, known whether yeah. um, you're sitting in the room or not. Or even just like that. And, and it could be completely like you're not thinking about it, but you're around this guy, you like him, you're working with him. Like, how does that not come into play or at least per, be perceived as coming into play? And I, and I think, you know, it, it is interesting when when, they, when you have 80s on the committee and their teams are in this. Like, I remember hearing mm-hmm. about Barry Alvarez and how difficult it was. Like, he, I think he actually, like, kind of needed his own room to watch Wisconsin <laughs> play in the Big Ten title game one year. Because, like, it was just, like, he is a, just a very heated person. And, like, it was, I think, like, he wanted it that way. And, like, everyone else was, like, this is more comfortable if you're kind of maybe watching on your own. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just such a weird scenario when you have sitting ADs and their yeah. teams are playing. It really um, is. And, and, and like, I like that it's not, you know, all retired ADs, retired coaches and and stuff on the committee, but it's totally going to be a problem if Ohio State wins this game and finally, like, is compared to some of these teams, especially, like, in Alabama. Um, Like, if Oklahoma loses, like, and some of these spots open up, I just, I I feel like the perception, no matter what way it goes, is not going to... Well. I, I would think that, like, bottom line, his his colleagues on the committee, if, if they're ever feeling that pressure, can say, Gene, I'm sorry, the Iowa game, like, period. Yeah. You know? well, like, that's sort of the thing that if these things are all going to be equal, that's sort of the thing that's just still very hard to explain. And I'm not knocking Iowa. They, you know, they weren't, they didn't have a losing season by any means, but that's the game that kind of, I feel like, is just going to drag them down in, in any of these conversations. Well, and I, I think that's actually, from the Ohio State fans I've talked to, they get that, and they mm-hmm. don't necessarily think that their team should be in because of that. Like, the, the fact that, we talked about this on this podcast, but the fact that you have blowout losses and you have two in Ohio State's case, like, that's not something we've seen. We've not really seen some of these teams just be completely not competitive. I guess actually, this is something that's new. I've noticed um, Kirby saying is a decisive loss, which is not a phrase yeah. that I've really heard. But he's used it repeatedly, and he did again this week about Ohio State. And I guess that just means a blowout loss. But like th- that is something that is different from some of these other teams that they could ultimately get compared to. But okay, so so Max, just taking a step back from the Ohio State mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty clear though, right? Like if Wisconsin beats Ohio State and Oklahoma wins, that's the top four, right? Like or, or, well, totally. Auburn would need to beat Georgia in this scenario. But it, what about Clemson? If they're number one and the committee really thinks highly of them and they've got the win over Auburn um, and they have yeah. that great schedule, are, are they in even if they lose to Miami? Or is that... What, Ooh, what you- that's a good question. And Miami dropping all the way down to seven, I'm not saying that that eliminates them from playoff discussion or anything, but... It's, I think in a lot of these cases, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's, um, you know, Miami, I, you know, maybe you need that 59 to nothing victory right. like the Buckeyes had a couple of years ago that really kind of shook up the math on all of this. Um, I think Clemson still stands really strongly on, on that resume. I think Oklahoma, you could make a similar case for, but I just don't know that this committee respects the Sooners, the Big 12, their defense, the way that... Um, you know, they look at Clemson. I, I, I don't know if, if that's the only upset. Um, if, if Miami beating Clemson is the only unexpected outcome in these conference title games, then, then what are you left with? Are, are you saying, 
Miami or Clemson goes in right. with Auburn, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin. Right, and and you'd have the head-to-head result and a conference champion in that situation. Oof. So, I, to me, like that was the only the only thing when That's I a, saw that is a stressful decision to me. Well, when I saw Miami lose to Pitt, to me, the only question that it got rid of here is: Are you going to get both of them in? Like, is the yeah. loser of that game going to get in? But right. just considering how highly the committee thinks of Clemson. Maybe that's not completely out of the realm of possibilities. Just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the other games. But I They do kind of treat them like they only have, like, half a loss. Yeah, the Kelly Bryant thing is the biggest <laughs> asterisk I have seen since we've had the college football playoff. Because it's not Deshaun Watson. This is not some, like, this is not Baker Mayfield was unavailable for Oklahoma for sure. a game. Um, so I don't know. and But I agree with you. I, I don't think the committee really respects Oklahoma's defense. Um, Let me they, ask you this: yeah. when, you, when when it comes Sunday morning and it's time to finish it up, and I'm sure they'll get it done Saturday night, but um, do, does any of this matter, or do you think they just completely, you know, wipe off the the marker board and just say, okay, guys, who are the four best teams? What are the two best matchups? Let's just settle it like that. So I think that the idea of um, sort of like when you're talking about like the basketball teams to be like, all right, shirts and skins, you know, like who do you think would win the game? <laughs> right. Whatever the equivalent of that is for football. Um, I, I do think like if you're debating maybe the four versus five spot, like you should consider like if those two teams played on a neutral field, you know, these are people who've been watching film of these teams all year, know all of their player availabilities and injury issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think they, they would be able to answer that question and they could individually be voting that way. But it, I like, mean, do you I, think? Do you think on Sunday, if Auburn if Auburn beats Georgia in an impressive fashion, do you think the committee on on Sunday says, you know what, we do not care that Auburn lost two games. We think they're the best team right now, and they're they're the one seed. I think that they should get consideration for that because mm-hmm. I just think their schedule and what they've done should put them in that position. But I, you know, I don't know because, like you said, I mean, the, the committee is treating Clemson differently. I think. Than other I think that's teams. fair to say. And, and, but I do think, I think Auburn is playing the best football out of anyone in the country right now. And, and I think if you beat a team at Georgia right now is at number six um, and was at one point the number one team in this committee's rankings, you beat them twice and you beat Alabama. Sure. I mean, no one's going to have a resume like that. Um, and I do yeah, think, you're right about that. you know, in, in a situation, and this is something, okay, so now that we're heading into the final weekend, some of the tiebreaker elements, and I just did air quotes, which you can't see, but I don't know why I just okay. did that. Um, <laughs> like the, the conference championship, that is a tiebreaker between two teams that are similar. That comes into play, as does head-to-head. Mm-hmm. So if Clemson mm-hmm. wins and Clemson stays one loss, but at that point you have Auburn, you have their quality wins, I do think the head-to-head might come into play there because they – would have yeah. comparable enough resumes, even though they have different losses. And that could keep Clemson ahead of Auburn for sure. I think um, that's fair. I think that's but, fair. But By I the do- way, so like, as you stare at this top 10 right now, like what is the one upset that you are, you're, you're expecting? Like, what's the one, call your shot here. Like what's the one upset that you think doesn't have to be a massive one. It could just be, you know, you think Georgia's beating Auburn or something like that. What, what's, what's the one upset you could, you could foresee here? Well, that's the one. I, I didn't pick it in our staff picks, but also I'm like in last place, mm-hmm. so that really doesn't mean anything. Okay, um, good, good, good to keep that in mind. Yep. But I, I, you know, I just I think it's hard to beat a team twice, and I think it's hard to beat them twice in a month. 
Mm-hmm. So to me, that's that's one I'm looking at. Um, I, you know, I know I I know a lot of people are picking Ohio State to beat Wisconsin. I, I just really think Wisconsin is just really good defensively against the run, and also very good at running the ball. Um, Ohio State is so inconsistent. I think their highs are higher than like their mm-hmm. ceiling is better than Wisconsin. Their ceiling, I think, is better than Alabama this year. But it's like. If, if that spot comes down to certain teams, you're going to be looking, like you said, at the Iowa game and at the lows of Ohio State when they don't show up. Um, yeah. So I feel like that. I think in that scenario, like I, I feel like it would be Bama at four, you know. Over Ohio State. I could Over easily, Ohio State. I mean, I could easily see that because you would just say, like, they're consistent. Also, they've snuck in some of these wins. So they're top 25 and, well, wins. And I, I just think the, the committee, just based on the resume, and, and I understand it, I think the committee has been very hesitant to – view Wisconsin as one of the four best teams in the country. So, you know, if Ohio State right. takes care of them, then maybe, you know, you look at that and say, okay, they're pretty much who we thought they were. And and you maybe don't get that that huge bonus that, that you'd expect. I don't know. I, I, I think that just with the, with the, you know, with Nick Saban's dark magic, I think there's just going to be one of these games that's going to work out just right where they get in at, at the four. Well, I, I think um, one thing that's been bothered me a little bit was um, – I saw Kirby Hokut referred to something as like, this was a team we had in the top 25 last year or something about last year's results. And I yeah, really, we don't, we don't need that. really don't think that that should come into play here. And I know that a lot of people are making that parallel between Alabama and last year's Ohio state, but I really, really don't think that they should be considering at all that Ohio state got blown out in the semifinal mm-hmm. or anything like that, or that, you know, maybe Penn state would have been a better choice. I just I know that there's a lot of overlap, but it's not the exact same committee. I just don't mm. think we should be talking about teams that were good last year, and that was kind of alarming um, because that's. Sort I think of, it'll be interesting that, to see that, with that's that a, too. That's the brand name thing that bothers people, right? That because yeah. it's Alabama, they're getting credit because they've been good the last few years. I will say the one thing based on last year, I, I am curious if they would try to avoid an Auburn Oklahoma game just because they played um, in the Sugar Bowl last year, but. I don't know how much you factor that in. I mean, obviously Clemson and Alabama played last year too, so you can't really avoid this in some cases. Well, and, and, and one thing, Kirby got asked about it, although it was kind of about New Year's Day Bowls in general, and yeah. he said that it wouldn't matter if there was – well, he said if there is a rematch from last year, we may try to discuss it, but I wouldn't say that we would automatically steer away from the rematch, but they wouldn't want a rematch from the regular season – so, so if we, that also you know, if we get another USC-Penn State, I'm fine with that. I'm fine right? with that, too. But what about we, we had Auburn and Clemson play this year? So mm-hmm. that could potentially, if they both win, that, that could come into play when you're seeding, maybe. We could also see a TCU-Georgia rematch from last year. I don't know. There's a couple opportunities for that. Yeah, but, that, but I mean, the regular season ones, and that's a question, again, if you put two SEC teams in um, that they may have played already. So, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting. I, um, I do think there are, there are a couple, like, minor things that that came about in the rankings um washington being ahead of notre dame could affect um a, a new year's bowl spot mm-hmm. um ucf can i, can I give my just weekly shout out to ucf I yeah mean, i feel so bad i i feel bad for their fan base because i think you know if you're scott frost you have to look in that and say okay yeah maybe i do need to go to a major program to yeah. actually get some traction in, in the college football playoff and that's frustrating but you know, they, they pulled off a, a really impressive win over USF in, in dramatic fashion late. And uh, to see them behind Washington and, and Stanford just, just made me laugh. 
Well, okay. Let, I know we have reader question, listener questions at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did get one about from mid-major Matt that I think we could answer here because we're talking about UCF and their schedule and kind of do like it. all they could really do. Um, he asked, what's the perfect non-conference schedule for a potential undefeated group of five team in order to make the top four, heck, even the top ten at this point? Hmm. All right. Well, first of all, okay, you're going to play three or four non-conference games. I, I think they, they all have to be FBS games, right? Without without a doubt. Do they all need to be Power Five games? Um. Probably. I mean, that's the if we're if we're saying a perfect non-conference schedule, right? Yeah. And I think you need to play a, like a prime time. Like, remember when Boise played Virginia Tech Week One? Yep. Like, you need to play it in that was a neutral site. Um. And, you know, that's one thing that Boise and some of the programs have not been afraid to do is play uh, big-time opponents in week one. you got to play one of those so everybody, you know, you, you get the hype going early on. Um, I don't know. I think you got to play – just got to schedule, like, way out of your league, and, and hopefully it works out, right? I mean, because what else is UCF supposed to do? I mean, really. Uh, they have one of the most impressive offenses in the country, one of the most efficient offenses, a, a terrific quarterback one of the hottest young coaches in the country. Um, I, I don't know what more they could do besides that schedule to, to impress the committee. Well, and, and you lose a game because of a natural disaster. I mean, right. it, it's the, against like, the power five program. Right. And, and so it's literally all of the things you can control. You've w- controlled and won. Yeah, um, absolutely. You won uh, every game in front of you. And, and I, you know, it just bums me out when you see a team do something like that and not even come close to the top 10. Well, yeah, so the, the top 10 thing to me is inexcusable. I guess, like, you don't want them to be close enough where they could actually, I don't know, get bumped up if there's a bunch of upsets in these title games. But uh, they're not the 14th best team in the country. And that UCF sure. game, UCF-USF game, might have been the best game of the whole season. And to not really get much credit for beating a really good USF team Barely sliding up, and that's yep. basically because no. I mean, they they blew out Memphis, who's number twenty. They got a chance to play Memphis again, um, right? You know, I don't I, know. I feel bad for Danny White. I feel bad for Scott Frost, those and, and their kids, because uh, you know, just uh, just an incredible year for them, uh, especially considering where they were a couple of years ago to be zero and twelve. But uh, does it? Okay, so you know, in in that's how if, the system works. If there's a series of years where the Group of Five spot in the New Year's Six Bowls consistently wins with this change? Like, if they consistently upset the Power 5 team that they're playing? I can see that. I think for UCF, the big thing is just you got to do this for a couple years. You know, I, yeah. think, I think that TCU and Boise State gained that respect over time because they were, were consistently in that conversation. And, you know, if UCF were to, you know, whoever's coaching them next year, if, if they were to have another, you know, 11-1 season and, and put a couple, you know, string a couple of these together, um, I think you need to kind of develop some legitimacy uh, with the committee, even though they, they shouldn't, you know, factor in previous years. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that's true. I just sort of wonder if there would ever be that idea that like maybe even a certain conference, like the American and their branding and they try to be the, you know, they're trying to be power six. Mm-hmm. Like they think they're closer to the power five than the other group of five leagues. Like, I just wonder if, like, if there would ever get to the point where there was so much respect for the conference and the types of teams that were coming out of it, that they'd just be like, oh, who's ever going to win the American? If it's Houston, if it's UCF, whatever. Like, we just, right. you know, like, that they would get that springboard. I, I don't think it's possible, and, I, and I, that's why I've always, always liked the idea of a six-team playoff, because you would have that kind of, like, final at-large spot. Yeah, 
Yeah, I like that. But well, that's and you know, I think it just takes more of these teams like Houston and UCF these last couple of years that kind of help uh, you know bust through the wall a little bit. Yeah. Well, okay. So we you mentioned that obviously a lot of these teams we're talking about are playing in championship games mm-hmm. coming up, um, and there's actually a lot of rematches, which I think is going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, which which game are you personally most excited to see? You know, I'm I'm going to be at the Big Twelve game in Dallas. Um, that's the 11 a.m. kick. So. Uh, you know, a chance to watch Oklahoma TCU and then watch everybody else. So that's that's going to be cool. But I guess I'd say the ACC title game. I feel like that's probably not getting a lot of attention. Um, I think the fact that Miami dropped down to seven uh, will probably make people kind of, you know, really focused in way more on that, that Big Ten, that ICC game. But um, the fact that Clemson and Miami haven't played each other this year and, and, and that Miami has, you know, has to bounce back. They have to have learned from that game against Pitt. Um, I, I'm just so excited to see how those teams match up and um, how Kelly Bryant and that offense can can handle Manny Diaz and, and the Miami defense. Yeah, well, you know, Kelly Bryant is maybe the most valuable player in the country this year. Um, it's true. Considering- it's true. And if he, if he, you know, <laughs> if he even injures a, f- a fingernail, all bets are off. Yeah, know? that may not matter. Um, well, so so mine, I'm going to go with the Big Ten just because obviously, like, there's a lot of people who don't believe that Wisconsin is deserving of where it is right now because of its schedule. Mm-hmm. But I'm mm-hmm. going to give you this reason because all week, like since Sunday, which Sunday was like one of the crazier days I can remember in covering college sports. Oh my gosh. Let's, I look forward to getting into that. Yes. yes. Well, here, you know, here's why I'm interested in the big 10 title game. Uh, Greg Schiano is still the defensive coordinator at Ohio. You know State. what? You're right about that. And like, I haven't even thought about this stew. Actually, <laughs> this is a question from our, our coworker Stu Mandel that said, "Hey, I have a question for your sleeper. podcast. Okay, um, are they going to be distracted? Is this going to impact Ohio State entering the game?" And I actually hadn't thought about that at all. I think it will. I think it has to. Either I like you've got the galvanizing, players, like, the players. He's, like, he's got a lot of really good players on that defense. I, I, you know, they haven't played great in some spots sometimes, but. I think those guys, you just watched those pass rushers last week, tee off in Michigan. I think those guys are going to be fired up to kind of defend his honor a little bit, right? I mean, just seeing their coach get thrown under the bus like that and, and really so many people kind of, um, you know, kind of making these judgments about him over the last week. And, and these guys know him really well. And I think they're going to play their butts off for him. That's, that's a good point. That's my guess, like, versus that it's a distraction and they're not going to play well because – just considering what Gene Smith and Urban Meyer, even Bill Belichick, all these people who've worked with Shiano have come out so defensively on his behalf. Yeah. I would just think that the players would feel that as well. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like that's so under. It's a great point. Notice. Great point. <laughs> because but it's totally. I, we, I think be we all kind of forgot that guy still has a job. That he's right? still currently <laughs> currently coaching. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, Max. What were you thinking as all of this is unfolding Sunday? And, you know, we obviously I'll give a quick shout out to our colleague, Jason Kersey, wrote this great piece and actually talked to yeah, terrific a piece. ton of fans in Knoxville and, you know, really got the pulse of what the fan base actually thinks, all of the different directions of the fan base. He, he showed up in Knoxville on Monday and just went, went around and asked people. Yeah, and, and I think that that, but to me, that kind of confirmed sort of the feel I was getting, but I know that. You know, it's it's been kind of tough to get a pulse of what fans are actually thinking and why they were actually so angry about the Greg Schiano hire. I'm wondering, what was your take on that? You know, my take in, in, in reading a lot of kind of opinions about this stuff and not, you know, you've clearly got a lot of different sides to it. 
I, to me, I think Tennessee fans just flat out, they, they heard Greg Shannon's going to be your next head coach, and they weren't impressed. I think they were concerned that that coach, it, it just was not the home run hire that, that they were expecting, one that they could really pound their chest about. And, you know, they felt like an athletic department and, and John Curry had, had failed them. And obviously there's a lot of frustration that have been building up over the last decade with that athletic department. But I think the fans, you know, I, I, a lot of people kind of latched to the Penn state stuff. Um, and, and I think I, I get that. I'm not saying they didn't care about that at all, but I, honestly, I think Tennessee fans, um, it was just, they were upset about the fact that they didn't think Greg Shiano was good enough. And that if you hire Greg Shiano, then what does that say about our program? And, and what, what, is, how is he different from Butch Jones? And how does that give us, you know, really hope that we can be back in the, the national title hunt. And, and honestly, I'm not one of those people that um, has been banging the drum on, on Greg Shiano and saying he's a, some incredible coach. And I found it kind of weird how many people were. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't totally get that, but. Um, it was a strange look know. from, from the media to be so angry <laughs> that the fan base rejected someone that you were reporting was going to get the job. Sure. Um, sure. And, and honestly, I think, and I, I think Jason's, um, piece which everyone should go read um did a really a, a fantastic job of laying this out at the end of the day it's the fan base saying we're the customers and you need to listen to the customers and i think that's uh obviously that freaked a lot of people out with the way that how quickly that that uh mm-hmm. you know revolt went down and the way it happened on twitter but um <laughs> i'm fascinated to see where tennessee goes from here and, and obviously we're taping this tuesday night so we don't know how the Mike Gundy pursuit is going to play out yet. Um, and, and maybe they will have moved on or maybe they will have locked him up by the time this post. We don't know, but um, man, John Curry, he, he's got to get this right or else I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on. Yeah. I, I, so I actually completely, I think you explained it perfectly. That's exactly how I felt about what was happening in Tennessee as well. I don't think you have that kind of reaction if you're getting um, a, a Gruden, if you're getting, you know, a, the, the top choice. Even Dan coach. Mullen, I think they wouldn't have, have had that kind of reaction. Right. And I think that in, in a lot of different situations, if you're getting, you know, the hot rising coach, you're going to defend or excuse away the parts of their past that you didn't like. And in this situation, mm-hmm. they were able to, there are a lot of people who don't want anyone remotely attached to the Sandusky scandal, which True. is Certainly. totally valid. Um, but I think there were also people who were a little opportunistic about multiple reasons they didn't like him and they were able to pin it on that. So I think there, there were a couple things going on, but I completely agree with your point. But I do wonder if they get a Mike Gundy, which probably mm-hmm. just if they get Mike Gundy, because <laughs> I think there's a drop off between the other candidates that are reportedly oh, of interest. But if Not that get, we don't love Jeff Brom and some of the guys out there. If but they get if, Mike Gundy, I mean, that's about as well as you could rebound from something disastrous. Oh right? boy, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a. Pro- to me, it'd be a better hire than than Shiano. It'd be a better hire than Gruden. It'd be a better hire than p- potentially than Mullen. Um, and I just say that not not to diss Dan Mullen, but I just say that out of the respect that I have for Mike Gundy and, and covering him the last few years at Oklahoma State and um, just what he's accomplished at in Stillwater as a program builder, as a guy that has has you know produced some really innovative offenses, um, and who's really just shown the ability to to build a school and, and build a, build a team into, you know, a year after year contender. Um, that's, that's the de- definition of the home run that every fan base is kind of, you know, crossing their fingers and praying for on message boards and all that. And uh, it'd be, it would be really startling if, if they were able to pull it off. So is he itching to leave? Like, is he, I don't think he is. That's the crazy thing is I, I think that there a couple of years ago, if, if Tennessee had called and, and I know they did go after him, you know, a, a while back, but, 
I think there were past years where Mike Gundy was, um, you know, having more strife with his leadership and stuff. And he probably would have listened to that. And, and, um, you know, now he's, he said publicly and, you know, from not just now, but even the start of the season that he's really feels rooted in Stillwater. Um, they really took care of him with his deal that they gave him last year with an extension, giving more money to support staff and all that stuff. They've really given him everything he's asked for now. And I think he's on a lot better terms uh, with everybody there, including Boone Pickens, but um, so that that that's part that's part of what would shock me, honestly, if, mm-hmm. if Mike Gundy took this job. Now, look, if someone calls you, Nicole, and says, "Hey, I want to, uh, you know, double your salary. Will you have a meeting with me?" Of course, you're going to take that meeting, right? You know, yeah. Like, you know, I can't. You, Oklahoma State fans, I'm sure, are, are really nervous about this, but you can't blame a guy if someone's coming at you with a with a crazy offer. Um, but Man, Mike Gundy, this guy is 50 years old and who spent 45 years of his life in the state of Oklahoma. I would really be shocked if now was the time that he was ready to bail um, and, and really, you know, Florida reached out to him. So if, if Florida was not good enough for him, then, then what is it about Tennessee that he would feel like, yeah, this is, this is where I have to be, especially considering all the questions about John Curry and about the fan base there. Okay, wait, uh, Max, um, uh-huh. we actually have some – mid-podcast breaking news, which we totally knew was going to happen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when you're trying to do we, a podcast. You, you, knew that, you knew that was going to happen, right? Like if we sat down for an hour, of course, yeah. like a bunch of things would happen. Yeah. All right, what do we got? All right, well, so you're going to sound pretty smart, so you'll enjoy this. Um, okay. Mike Gundy tweeted, Cowboy for life, hashtag mm. go Pokes, hashtag OK State. Um, and I'm also, saying? you just said you'd be surprised if he left. Also, there are reports, obviously, that he turned down Tennessee. Um, and a lot of money to do so. So, okay. So now we okay, have, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the tweets now. Yes. Wow. He, he reportedly, according to Brett McMurphy, turned down six years, $42 million. Good, good for you, Mike Gundy. Oof. Who, who, who needs the money, right? When you've well, got something as comfortable as, as, uh, the, the kingdom he's built for himself in Stillwater. You know, this actually is something I was going to say before all this happened. And we've got also some news about Mississippi state, reportedly hiring Joe Moorhead as their next head coach, Ooh. and we can get into do you, that. Do you know anything about Joe Moorhead? I do know some things about Joe Moorhead and the offense he runs, which I think will be pretty popular there. But Now, what, wait, hold on a sec. Yeah. Mike Gundy said cowboy for life. Yeah, does that mean So that means we will never do this ever again? Mike Gundy's done flirting with people? I hope that's what it means. I mean, I think you should probably ask I think that's kind of what that. it has to mean, but... <laughs> I guess we'll see, you know, if someone wants to come at him with 50 mil, I'm, I'm sure he would take that meeting as well. Well, so this is what I was going to say. I remember I actually sat down with Brad Stevens. Um, only it was about, it was a few weeks before he ended up taking the Boston Celtics job out of the blue. And he would get linked to every open coaching mm-hmm. job, right? He's still a butler at this point. And UCLA yeah. was open and there were all these things. And I remember talking to him about all of this um, and him talking about how, you know, his wife was his agent, so that's why stuff never got out about Brad Stevens. And it would always be like a few days later that it would be like, so-and-so talked to him and this and that. And I remember he gave me a piece of great advice, which anyone should use, but it was always that he, he took the call. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, you never know which call is going to be the one that changes your life. And so mm. when you were making – and then so obviously the Celtics happens like a month later, and it's like, ah, oh, that makes sense now. But yeah. Your point about well, things worked out pretty well for Brad Stevens, so we probably should heed that advice. I think we should take his advice, but I think like that's the point, right? If you're Mike Gundy, you take the call. But if you're Jimbo Fisher and you sort of literally did this last year as well, yeah. Do you can you? I guess the point is, can you take that call? If you're Jimbo Fisher, and and it's true with Mike Gundy, like they get the calls every year, right? So so can you take the call and then go home? 
like if you don't want to take the job like that that's the thing I feel like with Jimbo where it's sort of like yeah he can feel out the Texas A&M situation it'd be a great hire for them if they get him but can he go back to Florida State after doing this year in and year out yeah that's I think Jimbo is trying to play this one right down the middle. And in doing so, I think that is clearly infuriating the people in Tallahassee as it should, because they have, uh, you know, he's guaranteed $40 million. Like they're paying him a lot of money to be very secure in his job at Florida State. Right. And um, they have tolerated a, a very bad season, a five and six season with a meaningless game in front of them to, to potentially clinch a bowl game. Um if you're Jimbo Fisher, like I, I'm sure that he's just trying to play this down the middle and, and get the po- best possible offer. I'm sure that's what his agent's telling him to do. But I think it's starting to sour on him a little bit. And, and even if he's coming back to Florida State, like he, I, I think he's got some explaining to do and some apologizing to do. And, and, and clearly, just based on this season, a, a lot of staff changes to make if he does come back. But, um, yeah, it, there's, a, there's a real good chance that this could backfire on him. And even if he didn't maybe totally want to go to A&M, he might have to. Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. And and obviously, he'd also have to make some staff changes, significant staff changes, Definitely. if he stays, because they've had um, a lot of problems. He's got to make a lot of changes if he goes back, because people, I think, in, in, in Florida State have, are, are going to have this whole week to really think about you know, whatever negative qualities of his they're, they're getting tired of. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. some, some fence mending to do for sure if he, if he wants to come back. but. I'll tell you what, just being based here in, in Texas, the Aggies are getting quite confident, and I don't blame them because anytime Jimbo Fisher's had a chance to say, I'm, I'm absolutely not leaving, he has, he has not taken it. Yeah, I think that would be, that'd be, a, that'd be a wild move. I think that we're also hearing some really interesting names with Oregon State and Arizona State. Herm Edwards has not coached in college football <laughs> since 1989. Is that correct? That is that is correct. That makes him like less qualified to be a college head, head coach, I think, in a lot of ways than John Gruden. Yeah, and also that is like as long as I've been alive, he has not been co- coaching college football. <laughs> and yeah, same here. That's who is a serious candidate, and he himself confirmed that he's going to be meeting with Arizona State this weekend. Interesting. I mean, Ray Anderson has an NFL background. He's the AD at Arizona State. I still think Kevin Sumlin is the best choice and the best Absolutely. fit there. I, and I think Kevin Sumlin, um, and I wrote this in, in kind of analyzing that, that breakup in College Station, but like, I think Kevin Sumlin's still a really good coach, and I think yeah. that he would be really successful and, and happy um, at Arizona State. But I tell you what, they're not handling that, that process like most people to, to go into this. Saying, and you saw it last year with Houston where they were telling people, whoever comes like is, you know, we're, they're going to have to stay forever. And you kind of put these restrictions on your search and that kind of leads to what you get. But Arizona state going into their search saying you have to keep Billy Napier and you have to keep Phil Bennett as our coordinators. That's uh, you know, that's if you're Kevin Sumlin, you're, you're kind of scratching your head about that a little bit. Cause this is a, he's a very qualified coach um, who I think would embrace the chance to, to reset with his staff and, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like an AD telling me, here's who you have to hire to start off here. Well, the weird part about that is that if you really wanted those coordinators to be running the show, is then you would just keep the head coach who hired you them know what? and works if, with if them? The, if those guys are so great, then they should have been the interim coaches at midseason or something, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's kind also of... possible. <laughs> I mean, I, like, you know? I, but I just, I, I think that's such a strange condition to put on it um, if you think so highly of them. Um yeah. You know, so, so I don't know. I feel like that's going to be really interesting to watch. And then Oregon State also 
seems like a complete mess right now. Um, over the weekend, there were reports about Bo Baldwin, and then they seem to disintegrate. Which I think, I mean, I, you know, I think that would have, you know, I think that would have been sensible as a guy that's that's run a successful FCS program and, and really done a nice job in the Pac-12 this year. Um, but no, no, now they're trying to pitch this idea of Dennis Erickson coming coming back into the game with Jonathan Smith as his coach in waiting. That is just a bizarre idea. I I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, and I also think I have a lot of thoughts on coaches in waiting, um, which don't usually end up working out the way that people would like them to work out. But I don't know. I mean, I understand that Oregon State is a really tough job, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to attract a different kind of sure potential coach. Sure. But that's strange to me. Um, that t- that tells me that's a red flag to me that the, the search is not going well. Right, that's the kind of idea that's that's rising up to the uh, you know the cream of the crop there. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you said this to me earlier, but you were like, I would love to just work on a search firm for a year because... Oh, man. Like, that yeah, would be so much... Wouldn't you love easy? to work on a search firm and just, like, kind of be in the middle of all of that and yes. listen to the crazy ADs and listen to the crazy consultants and just kind of sit back and, and make a very, you know, <laughs> handsome amount of money to do so? Well, I would love to do that. My, actually, my plan A would be to become a college football coach because I want the buyout. And then mm. number two would be to work for a search firm. I think those seem to be like the easiest way to make a lot of money without doing that much. You know, you know, what's so funny is that like, as we've kind of crept towards this point where like $5 million a year is like pretty standard for a, for a high level coach. Have you noticed that like a eight to $10 million buyout is suddenly like no big deal to people? Yeah, we've seen 10, we've seen 12. I mean, it's a little, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's alarming in just in general, especially with the athletes not getting paid, but um, yeah. And I feel like we never really talk about where does that money come from too? You know what I mean? Right, but it's amazing that people have not been blinking at those buyout amounts mm -hmm. considering, and then knowing how much, then you have to go and pay a Chip Kelly plus you're paying Jim Mora. And so it's just, it's it's interesting. I understand that places want to win, yeah. but it's that's that's just a lot of money. And but and in so Nebraska, like Nebraska is still paying Bo Pelini to not coach there, and they're going to pay Mike Riley, and to they're going to pay there. Sean, and Icorse. they're going to pay their next coach, and right? they're going to pay Sean Icorse to no to longer not be their them. AD, and they're going to pay Bill Moose to be their AD. So I saw the same thing in Texas here a couple of years, or, you know, these past couple of years. So. It's uh, th- this truly is the the wacky time of the year in college football. Yeah, Charlie Weiss still the goat. He's still he's still <laughs> the god of the buyout. Yes, um, although you know Kevin Sumlin had a had a cool clause on his that it like had to be paid out in the next sixty days. So that's even Kevin, Kevin Sumlin getting that getting that buyout sixty days no offset. That that means you have a good agent. You got to yes. hold on to him tight. Yes. Um, so anyway, so as we were talking, um, Mississippi State uh, reportedly has hired Joe Moorhead, who I've spent a lot of time with this year, Penn State yeah, offensive about Joe coordinator. Moorhead. Um, so he sort of invented his own wrinkle in the spread offense and was running it up Fordham. Um, and that's where James Franklin found him and brought him over to Penn State. And I think mm-hmm. before Saquon Barkley kind of fell off the map and before Penn State lost a couple games, you know, people really were talking him up um, as, as one of the most innovative and creative offensive coaches in the country. And so I think, you know, we heard him, you know, poking around some of the jobs last year. Um, but to get a Power 5 job in the SEC – you're taking a job, Dan Mullen, best coach um, in the modern history at Mississippi State, taking yep. over. You're getting eight, 18 of your 22 starters back from last year's team. Um, it, it's a pretty good situation to walk into, not that Starkville is 
the easiest place to recruit to or win at, um, which we, we've seen with Dan Mullen. But I do sure. think that it's going to be a really interesting match. Um, but in terms of, you know, you playing an exciting style of offense and, you know, being competitive in some of these games, I mean, I think he'll get them there. You know, his, his background, though, I, I would not have guessed that he would end up um, in Starkville, Mississippi. No, I, I was looking at a map the other day. I think the furthest south he'd ever coached was Washington, D.C., I think. So basically the I same mean, as Stark Vegas. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and, but you know what? And, and I'm not, not knocking Jeremy Pruitt here or any of the other candidates for that job, but like, I can't blame Mississippi State for, for trying to kind of zig where everyone zags and, and saying, no, we don't need to hire like a Nick Saban disciple. Like, let's, do, let's be a little bit different and, and hire somebody that we think can, um, you know, can really bring an exciting brand of offense to the table in, in really an, an incredibly challenging division. Yeah, and and I think I think it's good. I, I like that there are places not going the Nick Saban tree, um, which hasn't always worked in a lot of situations in the SEC. And so I think it is a creative hire. I think it's a little bit unconventional. And I think Nick, Nick Fitzgerald will be thrilled. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I talked to Trace McSorley about what his reaction was when they got Joe Moorhead. And right. he was telling me about watching film with his dad about the types of quarterbacks he'd worked with at Fordham and just being so excited about, um, you know, just using it, it. The way that Joe Moorhead described it is kind of like a, a multi-tempo spread offense that uses mm-hmm. RPO. So it's kind of like a little mix of everything. But they definitely do more tempo-wise than other spread offenses do. And Trace McSorley loves playing in it. You, The quarterbacks get better the longer they're in it. Um, when you have a running back like Saquon Barkley, you can do a lot of different things with it too. Um, yeah. And so I think if I'm a player at Mississippi State, I'm thrilled. Like I think that's a really exciting type of offense to play in. Um, and I, I think, uh, you and have obviously to be... it was a, it was a bummer to see Nick Fitzgerald get hurt in that that Egg Bowl, um, and hopefully he comes back strong here. But I tell you what, that guy is going to be a monster next year under Joe Moorhead. Yeah, and and I think I think it, it says a lot about you know we're, we're talking about Tennessee missing on some of its hires and its candidates. I mean. Florida not being able to get Scott Frost um, or Chip Kelly, and and I right. think I think it says a lot about Mississippi State and the state of the program if you're able to get one of the hot coordinators in the country who's also and been a head coach. And you know what? Let's give it up to them. They did it in a couple days too. They didn't drag it out. Yes, I I I think that's going to be really interesting. And um, unless any other coaching news has happened while we've been on the podcast. I can't imagine how many things we're just going to be so wrong about by, you know, midnight tonight or, or even in just the yes, next 30 please, minutes. Please do not hate the podcast because it doesn't seem timely in, in an hour. But um, let's wrap it up with a couple of questions. And we will also just mention before I forget that we will do a special bonus pod um, after the college football rankings come out um, on Sunday so that we can sort of at least preliminary break down the semifinals and some of the other events about you know whatever outrageous things happen uh i can't wait for you know your rent your rant about big 12 defense i i feel like we're <laughs> gonna get another one so i'm really excited about the, that like when the big 12 when oklahoma wins and finishes fifth yeah i'll, I'll bring <laughs> um all right so let's just do a couple of questions and then we'll hop out and Go back to uh, just talking. Go back to whatever to, news is just broken. Yeah, whatever, we whatever weird coaching changes and Herm Edwards ends up taking a different job and John Gruden goes somewhere that's not Tennessee. And I don't even want to put that in the in the universe. I I, I take that back. Um, oh boy. Okay, so we actually answered a couple of our listener questions already when we were talking about the playoff. Um, so here is one that's I think interesting. And right now I just can't find who wrote it, but. 
in your opinion, which game counts more when you play a rematch against someone? You know, I think that the more important game is probably the second one. And, and I think there's probably an assumption that the committee has kind of this recency bias, but in a lot of ways, they really do care about what have you done lately? You know, what team have you become now? And so you look at a game like Auburn, Georgia, and if Georgia, you know, if Georgia is able to really knock off Auburn in an impressive fashion, I think you still look at that and say these teams are, are pretty even, you know, that these teams are, um, you know, on each other's level and, and that maybe that discounts a little bit of what happened last time they met. But and I think the second one's probably more important. What do you think? I would agree because I think the committee does tend to give people credit for getting better throughout the year. So I totally. think that that would come into play in a second game. Plus, when you're um, when you're when they're they're thinking about these matchups and they want a really good college football playoff, um, I think that you want the teams that are playing well at the end. So and I you want to you want to validate the stuff you've been talking about for weeks, right? Right. Yes, I, I agree, and I, I think so. I, I would say that. It, at least, it certainly offsets the loss, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but I think that it, it could, um, you know, show some signs of growth that I don't know. Um, I don't know if you would get otherwise. And, and it is going to be interesting to watch because there are a lot of rematches, not just Auburn, Georgia, not just in some of the group of five conferences, but throughout everywhere. There's there's going to be a lot of rematches. And, and I would be curious to hear Kirby Hoka talk about that on Sunday for sure. Um so one other sort of football question, and then we have an excellent question to end on, which we okay. will be able to get our New Jersey reference in. Don't you worry. Okay. Um, if all of the top three teams, so that's Clemson, um, that's Auburn, and that's Oklahoma, if they all lose, does Wisconsin become number one? All right. I, I, Nicole, I, I grabbed a piece of paper. I worked this out real quick. I think number one would probably be, be Georgia in that situation. Yeah. And then Wisconsin yeah. two, maybe like Alabama three, Miami four, or something like that. Um, if, if the top three were to lose and, and Wisconsin were to knock off Ohio State. I just sort of think there's the way this plays out, the SEC champion I think has just a really uh, strong chance and strong case to be that, that one seed. No matter yeah, what. I would agree. I, I feel like the committee has only put Wisconsin in once and it was this week when they kind of had to. <laughs> so yes. I, um, I don't think that they would necessarily want to slide them all the way up. I, I do think in that scenario too, potentially depending on how the game goes, Clemson would maybe still stay in the mix. Um, not as number one, but in the playoff mix. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, Plus, that would be... doesn't Wisconsin kind of have that problem that, commi- that if if they blow out Ohio State, the committee will be like, well, we've seen that before. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. doesn't really. We we kind of knew that ab- about Ohio State, so I don't know. Right. Wisconsin's I, in this. I, I don't think Wisconsin's Wisconsin... in this weird and very disrespectful spot throughout. Yes, this thing. and I, I think they're in a spot where they can only just kind of match expectations and not really exceed them, and so that's gonna. I think that's gonna limit them. I just don't think that they could get all the way up to one. Um, sure. Okay, last question. This is from my buddies over at Casual Hoya, the uh, SB Nation Georgetown blog. They're asking about the Jersey Shore reunion. Are we excited? Are we Mm. overly excited for the reunion? I would also like to mention that on Monday night, I did catch the new season of, it's like essentially the same, but it's in the Florabama Shore. Um, Oh, you know what? I've seen commercials for this. It uh... is... What, what, give me a scouting report here. <laughs> um, it was wild and very entertaining. Um, it's the same concept of just like a bunch of strangers from the area getting a beach house together for the summer. Mm. 
Um, And then they make them do like some sort of task. Like they all work at the beach, like checking, like putting up umbrellas and stuff for people throughout the day. You know, I think this brings up an important conversation, Nicole, that really, (laughs) that really kind of fits with our, our millennial, uh, you know, lifestyle here. What happened to the real world? I love the real world. Uh, well, real the real world's world, a great show. The real world spawned all of these. So I know that, but why can't we like go back to the OG? You know. You know, I don't know. I think that now we need these like gimmicks and road or, rules. Like... Road rules went away too. Well, no, I I have those still around. Oh, they have no. the challenges, but they don't have like the. It's just not like it used to be. Yeah, I so I don't know. These are great questions. Big Brother also at the forefront. I think Survivor is still going on. Those were all like the OGs. I guess we could just have like a whole separate pod about the programming on MTV. And, <laughs> and, you know, what it used to be and what it could be. You know? Yes. Well, this new, um, essentially a different but similar Jersey Shore. Like the characters are just as insane as they were before. Like they're not uh-huh. called the situation on this one. But like there's a girl who okay. spells Courtney K O R. T-N-I, which I've literally never seen in my life. Um, So anyway, it seems really promising as like completely mindless television. But yeah, the original Jersey Shore cast also doing something in 2018. They're getting back together. They're getting back together, but it's going to be a little sad because they're like old now. And some of them have children. Are they like, are Ronnie and Sammy still dating or what's the deal? Um, I actually asked that question this week and apparently the answer is no, thank goodness. So, (laughs) (laughs) So that's good. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, that is coming back next year. So we have so much material we can discuss. Is, it, is that the 10 year? The oh my God. No, it it's really not ten- the 10. No, it's not 10 years. It's close no. though, isn't it? It's like no. eight years, isn't it? Oh, that's making me uh, feel we're getting old. old Nicole. It's making me feel old. Well, on that note, <laughs> before we're too old. On that depressing note. Yeah. <laughs> on that depressing note. Well, actually on a more positive note, um, Chantel will be back when we do our special pod on Sunday. So that's exciting. Okay. Um, and she will tell us about drinking milk. Do you think milk she and... these shows, though? I'm not no, sure that she would have. No, for sure. No, no. but Probably she'll, not. like, drink milk and, like, talk about, I don't know, poetry or something and, like, balance us out and, like, help us grow up a little bit. Yeah, we don't sound the most comfortable <laughs> when we talk about these shows, so that's probably good to balance. <laughs> probably good. Um, all right, so let's wrap it up. Again, you can go to um, our website. There'll be so much more on um, coaching changes. Chris Nini is tracking all of it for us. Theathletic.com slash all-American. We'll have stories about teams playing in the conference championships. Um, we'll have lots we got of it interesting all. We stuff. Got, it's, a, it's, a, it's a busy time of year. Yes. We um, we've got gift subscriptions. We've got specials for Cyber Week. So check out all, all of that on our website. Um, and we will send us questions, tweet us, and we will be back with a special pod on Sunday. And then we'll have our normal one. So we should have a bonus pod for all of you great listeners. Um, we appreciate you. We'll be back soon, and in the meantime, enjoy all of the crazy coaching rumors for as long as they're not affecting your own teams. Because yeah, keep I your know. head on a swivel. <laughs> keep your head on a swivel, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening.